0: Corinthians chapter 13 I'm excited about this year honestly because uh, you know you know that um, for for a long time we've been playing a song like this on Sunday nights just because we didn't have enough groups to be able to sing we we have had groups here and there that uh, I say groups but but um, people that are willing to to make a group together and sing and and um, you know we we've always had people that were would, would do it here and there and a lot of times the kids and things and uh, we, have, we have enough people now that sing and enough people that are, that are doing groups and things that sing that we're going we're gonna to start putting a, a full schedule together on Sunday nights, and of course it will give our kids an opportunity to sing some more um, and, uh, and have them do some of their own groups and stuff as well, which is why most Sunday nights now, and, and a lot of our kids are gone tonight, but um, you know, it, it's, it's been great having our kids playing the offertories and stuff on Sunday nights. It gives them a great uh, experience. Um, working in, in a ministry and using their talents and their abilities that God's given them and, and helping them to develop those things. But it also gives us an opportunity to use our talents and our abilities too. We're not here practicing church. This is this is church. And uh, boy, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it takes getting up there a few times and making a few mistakes and things to, to get to the point where you're comfortable in doing it. But I'm um, looking forward to that. So um, hopefully within the next month or so, we'll have a whole schedule put together for Sunday nights and, and get these groups practicing and working on those things. And and have specials for Sunday night too, but tonight I want to focus mostly on marriage, but uh, I, think, I think in focusing somewhat on the marriage, it'll help us very much with our kids as well, and I want to be very practical tonight. Uh, most of the messages that I preach, we have lots and lots of Bible verses, I have you turn to lots of different places, and we have several that, I'm, that I want you to turn with me tonight, uh, turn with me uh, to, to tonight as well, but... Mostly practical tonight, and hopefully some things that'll be a help to you uh, as we go forward. But you've, you've no doubt heard uh, many times that there is no I in team. And a lot of times you'll see that as a motivational quote on a wall in a, in a boardroom or something like that, or you'll hear a coach say that there's no I in team. And, and they're right, a team that's going to be successful has to take the I out so they can win, right? When we get married, we become a team. It's not about I, it's not about me, it becomes about we and us in order for that marriage to be successful, and in 2 Corinthians chapter thirteen, this this really is this is not uh, specific to marriage, and I, I'm not tr- I'm not trying to take a verse out of context, um, but I'm telling you that this is this is not in the context of marriage, but it fits very well uh, in in everything that we do, but especially in marriage as well. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse eleven, Paul says this: Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Now, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Because we notice here in this verse uh, that, that in order to have peace, there has to be one mind. Right? That's what he says. Uh, be of one mind, live in peace. And that means that if we want peace in our marriage, then the spouses have to be of one mind in everything that they do in life. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 2. Paul, again speaking, says this. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Again, you you notice here that that to be of one mind, we cannot make our marriages about ourselves. We cannot make church about ourselves. We can't make the ministry about ourselves. We can't make the the preaching about ourselves. We can't make any of those things about ourselves. It's about others. Um, and And we have to both, when it comes to marriage in particular, form a team. This, this, this principle fits with everything, uh, and, and, and Paul obviously is, is looking at this in the, uh, in the context of the local church, right? If we're going to get along, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to move forward as a church for the cause of Christ, we need to be on board together. We need to be on, of the same mind. We need to be uh, like-minded, as he says, but I think it's very, very uh, easy to apply this to our marriages as well. If our marriages are going to go forward, if our marriages are going to be successful, we have to be of one mind. So I want to look at several areas that we can work on in our marriages so that our marriages can be a team. And that's, that's the title of the message tonight, making your marriage a team, making your marriage a team. Let's pray and we'll just look at a few ideas here tonight that hopefully be a help to us and give us some things that we can do to help make sure our marriages are what God wants them to be. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you again for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to be here. And I pray that you'd help us as we go through these things tonight. Uh, a strong church is built with strong families. And God, a strong family is built by starting with a strong marriage between the husband and the wife, between the mom and the dad. And so I pray that you just help us as we look at these things. Number one, that we, that we uh, get these things squared away in our own lives, but then also that we can get them squared away together and help us to be what you want us to be. I pray that it would be a blessing to us tonight. We thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing. Uh, to help make our marriage a team, is that when we talk, we should say we and not I. And again, I'm tell- I, I, I'm saying this is this is very practical. But we we should think of ourselves and our spouse as being one unit, as a couple, not as individuals. Right? Uh, we were just at my niece's wedding this this weekend. Uh, 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 Saturday, and you know they, they say the vows, and, and, uh, and all of the things about the marriage is us becoming one, right? You've read all the verses. We've talked about all the verses about, uh, about marriage and, uh, and about uh, uh, two becoming one and one flesh and all of that stuff, and so it's no longer I. It's not me. It's us, and that mentality makes us stop, I think, to be more deliberate in what we're saying. It makes us more selective in what we're going to say. Uh, when we got married, we became a team. And I, you know, I, my wife serves me, but I, in return, I serve her. That's, that's the way that, that, we make these, that we make marriage work. We watch out for each other. We meet each other's needs. We encourage each other. And the list just goes on and on. And when we do that, our bond is made stronger. It's the way it's designed to be. We, we, we don't think of each other as a, uh, 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 we do think of each other as a team in marriage. We think of each other as a team in parenting. We think of each other as a team in, in Christian life. You know, when I sit down with couples that are getting ready to be married, and uh, we go through uh, you know, quite a few things and talk about them, but I tell them, you know w- when two people come together, they become something together that they could never be apart. It's like a, it's like a violin and a bow, right? You can have a, the most beautiful, most exquisite violin that's ever been made, but if there's no bow to play on that violin, then really what's the point of it, right? Or you could have a beautiful bow and no violin, and what's the point of having a bow, right? But when you put the, 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 the uh, violin and the bow together, you can make beautiful music. And you know, you might have a, a husband that is, that is really talented in certain areas. You might have a wife that's really talented in certain areas. But God obviously has a plan and had a plan from the beginning of creation for those two to be together. And he has a plan for them to accomplish things together that they could never accomplish separately, that they could never accomplish apart. So... Again, it doesn't mean that you can never have an opinion or anything like that, but when you have that we mindset, you automatically have the idea of a team effort in your mind. So when we talk, we should use we and not I. Number two, we must understand the roles of authority. And maybe I should have started with this one. Uh, A a team will never be of one mind when everybody's vying for the top position, right? Everybody on the team can't be the coach. Everybody in the church can't be the pastor. Everybody in the marriage can't be the leader in the home, right? Right? And, and it's just, it's the way that God designed it. In order for a team to be successful, every person on that team needs to understand their role, right? There's a lot of people who are qualified to be the president of the United States, but only one person can be the president, right? There's a lot of people who are qualified to be the president of a corporation, even within that corporation, but only one person can be the president. It's the way that, that's, I mean, it, it, it works, it's natural. And it's, it works and it's natural when it comes to the marriage role as well. The same is very true for marriage. And I've mentioned this a lot of times before, so I'm not going to belabor the point. We've talked about this at length many, many different times. But to be of one mind, each spouse needs to understand his or her role of authority in the home, and they need to fulfill that role, right? The husband is to lead, the wife is, submit, is to submit to that leadership and give him that leadership, uh, and, and honestly, it doesn't work if the wife doesn't doesn't give it, right? The husband can demand all day long that the wife follow, but if she doesn't give him that fellowship, then he's he doesn't have that leadership in the home. So um, it, it 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 goes both ways. the The husband has that responsibility to lead, but the wife has the responsibility to follow. And if that if that gets out of order, if that gets uh, t- turned on its head, or both try to lead, or if neither one of them wants to take the lead, or we let the kids lead or whatever. It's not going to work the way that God wants to be, and we're not going to be the team that's successful because we have to understand the roles of authority to make marriage a team. Number three, we have to be willing to give in so we can be of one mind. Let's face it. We're not always going to agree on, on everything. In fact, there's, there's a lot of marriages where they don't hardly agree on anything, right? But in order to be of one mind, we have to be willing to give in so that one mind can prevail. People say often that marriage is 50-50. Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. I give 100% of myself to that marriage. My wife gives 100% of, the, of herself to the marriage. If you look at it as 50-50, then, well, she needs to do her part. She needs to, she needs to, she needs to give a little bit in the marriage, right? I mean, when I, when I married my wife, I gave myself to her. She gave herself to me. Right? And, and, that's, and, and, and that's the mindset that we have to have going into it. If it's, well, uh, you know, I'll give 50%, but she needs to give 50% too. Oh, I need to be willing to give 100%. And she needs to be willing to give 100%. And, and sometimes we, uh, we have to be willing to give in so we can be of one mind. And of course, we're not talking about giving in when it comes to sin and all of those kind of things. I'm not saying that. But uh, in, in order to be of one mind, we have to be willing to give in so that one mind can prevail. And, and yes, that means that sometimes we're not going to get our way. But it'll make our marriages happier if we'll learn to let one mind prevail when there's a dis- disagreement, which goes right along with the next point, which is this. Number four, we must submit to each other so we can be of one mind. And I know that sounds very similar. We have to be willing to give in. We have to submit to each other so we can be of one mind. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter 7, because we're never going to achieve being of one mind unless each spouse decides to submit to the other. Wait a second, isn't that the exact opposite of what you just said a, a couple minutes ago about the husband leading and the wife submitting? No, it's not. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse number 3. In and, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul spent a lot of time talking about marriage or the lack thereof, and he said, hey, if you're not married, you're better off, and you're like me, and all of this other stuff. But then he said, but if you decide that you're going to get married, then hey, follow along with these things, right? He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse number 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Submission does not mean, yes, honey, you said to do this, so I'll do it, right? Um, It doesn't mean that the husband gives up that leadership role, or the wife tries to take that leadership role, or anything else. Submission means to give in when we do not want to do something and have the power to not do it. And I know that sounds kind of confusing, but you know, I don't want to do this, but I have the power not do it. I, I, you know, it's not going to be a sin for me to give in in this area. It's not going to be a sin for me to put myself under in this area. Uh, for the sake of being of one mind, each spouse needs to be willing to submit to the other, to give to, to, give to each other that due benevolence, right? Uh, but when each spouse is willing to submit, they're not going to have any selfish attitude that causes arguments with each other. Um, I've, 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 I've said this many times before too, but the, the best definition that I ever heard of love is love is wanting the best for another person. Right? I mean, and that's what it comes down to my kids, right? Uh, and, and I don't want to get off track on this, but, you know, uh, why do I discipline my kids when they run out in the street? Because I love them and I want the best for them, right? Well, you don't love your kids. You just spanked them for running in the road. No, I spanked him because I love him. I know that it's not good for him to go run out in the road on Broad Street, right? He can get smashed by a car and, and have a whole lot worse penalty for disobeying than getting a spanking, right? Uh, I love them, I want the best for them, and so I'm going to discipline them, I'm going to try to teach them the right thing. And the same thing is true with, with, you know, with, with uh, your marriage. You know? Sometimes your wife needs to be disciplined. No, I'm kidding, I don't mean that at all. But I'm saying, when, when you love somebody, you want the best for them, and if that means that sometimes I need to take a, second, a back seat so that, that uh, you know, she can have what she wants or she can do you know, something that's better for our marriage, whatever, then, then that's what I'm going to do. Which brings us into number five. We should separate duties so we can be of one mind. And this is, this is, this is not a requirement by any stretch. I think it's a good idea, uh, just, just something to throw out there that, that may help. But I think the duties in the home can be separated into, uh, into several different categories. Once we divide things up in the home, we can, we can decide who's going to be in charge of those areas. And, and by in charge, I don't mean, you know... Um, my wife's making all the financial decisions now because I put her in charge of the finances. I, I don't mean that. I'm just saying, you know, wife can be in charge of the decorations inside the home. The, the husband can be in charge of making sure the outside of the house is, is, you know, looks right and doesn't mean that I don't have any say in what happens inside. She doesn't have any say in what happens outside, but, you know, it, it, it kind of separates those duties a little bit. It kind of gives them something that uh, that they can focus on as theirs, and, you know, obviously, you know, it it might be that that one is kind of one kind of handles the finances and heads up the finances. The other one heads up the family activities or, or something. You know, it's it's just an idea, but but something that helps. It doesn't mean that both spouses don't have input in the categories that the other spouse heads up, but with one person overseeing it, it kind of helps to keep track of it. It's the same way in a business, right? You you can't you can't oversee everything, right? I mean, you just look at it in the in the police department, right? You have captains and majors, and, and, you know, you have a chief. The chief oversees all of it, and he's responsible for all of it, but he's got guys underneath him that handle certain, certain areas that, that they may be good at or better at than he would be. But, I mean, ultimately, he makes the decisions, and he decides what happens within those departments, but they're leading those departments, and, and, and that helps. And, and um, just a thought, but, but with one person overseeing it, I think it can help with, with that oneness mindset. Number six, and this kind of goes right along with that then, is that we have to be of one mind concerning our finances. And there's, I mean, I could, I could list 50 different things that we have to be of one mind in, but this one's a big one. It's very important to have sound finances to keep our marriages happy. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a ton of money coming in. You just have to be of the same mind when it comes to those finances. The number one thing that causes uh, marital strife and ultimately divorce is finances. Uh, people say irreconcilable differences and whatever else, but most of it boils down to the way that they handle money. And so to keep our finances sound, we and our spouse need to have that one mind on how to handle the finances. It's not a healthy team if, if one of the spouses is an out-of-control spender, and you know the other one's a penny-pinching sa- uh, uh, saver. You know? uh, you, you're going to be at odds a lot of times, you know, um, I think there will always be one who tends to spend less and one who tends to spend a little bit more. I'm definitely the one in our family who tends to spend a little bit more. Just, I, just, I mean, it's just money, right? It comes, it goes, you know, you're, you're never going to have millions of it anyway, so you might as well use it for the things that you need. My wife tends to save a little bit more and, and you know, be a little bit more concerned about those things. Spend less, maybe stress about it a little bit more, but we're on the same page with our finances, right? I, I'm not addicted to spending. She's not addicted to saving, uh, and so, you know, we find that happy medium and, and it and it works and that's that's what you have to do in order to make your finances work and, and make those things work together. Both of us have to work together as a team to use our finances properly so that we're not always digging ourselves out of a hole. And honestly, that's what happens in, in, in so many marriages. They everything is on credit and we were just talking about that that, that this afternoon. You know, you, you, you look around and you see you know how many people are driving these big, huge, fancy vehicles and you know that uh, you know, I just, what, I just read something uh, a couple days ago. The average, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. If, if you can afford it, then great. But the average family has over $1,000. For the first time in history in America, the average family has over $1,000 a month car payment. Because most of them have two cars, and most of those car payments are over $500 a month. That, that puts a lot of stress on you, you know. And, I, and I'm not saying if, if you need that vehicle for work or you can afford the vehicle, th- then go for it. But what happens most of the time is these people can't really afford it. They're stretched to the very, very limit, and they they just want that. I got to have that vehicle because it looks cool, or it's you know it's a status symbol, or whatever it happens to be. And now they're stretched so thin that the water heater goes out, and you can't figure out how you can pay for the water heater. And now that's causing all that stress in that marriage and everything else. So. Uh, you know, and most of the time, not always, and that's, that's why some of the families get in the situation that they're in, but most of the time there's one who's saying, we don't need to spend all that money on that car. What happens when the water heater goes out? And then the water heater goes out, and now you're saying, see, I told you, we can't even pay for the water heater. And that's, I mean, it's just back and forth, and, and you're not of one mind when it comes to those things. Uh, if you like to spend, and uh, the other one likes to save, then find a happy medium in there somewhere and figure it out. But you've got to get that figured out. You've got to be of one mind when it comes to those things. If we're of one mind, when it comes to our finances, we have a better chance of being financially successful, and we have a lot better chance of, of, of having a happy marriage. Number seven, and I think this is important, and, and uh, these last three are less practical and more spiritual, but this, number, number seven, we should always talk highly of our spouses. Um, there, there are not many things more disheartening to me than, than being around couples who are constantly denigrating their spouse. Right, and, and and it could be when you're in a group, and oh, you know, you should have seen what she did the other day, right? Or even when you're not around your spouse, and you're with you know all your girlfriends or all your guy friends or whatever, and oh, you should have heard. And, and, and listen, I'm thankful that we don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying this because we have a problem with this in our church. I'm thankful that we don't. But but it's something that's so important when it comes to uh, that trust in our marriage. When we got married, ladies, they, they thought the husbands could do no wrong, right? Uh, guys, you thought your wife was the most beautiful woman in the world, and, you know, uh, it, it just, it, I seem to be constantly on men, so let me focus on ladies as an example for a second. I, I do focus a lot on, on the men, because the men are, are to lead the home and things, but think about it from this perspective, and again, it goes both ways, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on ladies I'm just using this as an example. But there comes a time in marriage when it very, it becomes very easy to become comfortable with who we are. We start changing the way we do things. Um, ladies, you know, once they follow, now they're trying to lead. Once they were submissive, now they demand. Once they couldn't say enough about how, how hard the husbands worked or, you know, how... Uh, how much they provide for the, for the family, and now he can't seem to ever do anything to please the, you know, the wife or the, the family. And if that's the case, we need to step back and reevaluate things in our marriage. And, and I say the same thing from the husband perspective, right? You know, the wife used to, oh man, she's this, she's that, she does all of these things. And now we settle into life and you've been married for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, by, by the way, can I say that that's not based on my wife? <laughs> I wish, I wish every lady could, could spend a week in our house uh, and see the way my wife uh, acts as a wife and as a mother, and I think we'd have a lot stronger families in our, in our church and in our country if, if, if that could happen, but uh, we have to take the utmost priority, we have to make it the utmost priority to start praying and working to get things better in, uh, and back on track. And I'm not saying, we're, we're not going to agree with our spouse 100% of the time. There will be times when we have disagreements. There will be times when we don't see eye to eye on something. Um, we each think differently. We're different people. And, and it happens that, that at, the longer you are together and the, the longer you're married, the more you do think the same, right? We were, we were, we were kind of joking about that uh, this, this with, with the rest of my, my wife's family. And I said, you know, you don't even have to argue anymore because she already knows what I'm thinking. I already know what she's thinking. We've already, you know, done that argument in our head, and we, you know, we just take care of it. It's, it's the end of it. Uh, and that's and and it's true. A lot of times that's the way that it is. But, you know, uh, when we become a team, we work more as a team. We become we and not just I, the more we think alike and the more we're less self-centered. But I, I say this, under, under no circumstance should you ever... Um, divulge to your relatives, should you ever divulge to your close friends all the things that we hate that our husbands or wives do. And this happens a whole lot more than you think it would. Um, but if there is if there's something that will break down the trust in your marriage faster than anything else, it's taking secrets that your wife told you in confidence or that you told your wife in confidence or something that happened that only your wife or only your husband knows, and now other people find out about it. That is the that is the quickest way to break down uh, the trust in a marriage. And, and a lot of times, you know that that kind of stuff leads to uh, affairs and everything else. And you see that happening all the time too, especially at work. You know because now you know now you're going to work and complaining about your wife to you know the lady that you work with and. Uh, she starts to relate to it with you and she starts complaining back to you about her husband and next thing you know, you're running off together because, oh, you know, we are perfect together and my wife is worthless and your husband's worthless, so, so you know, we'd make a great team. You, you're going to end up in the same situation, but there's nothing that's going to break down uh, that trust more than that, and I, I'm not even talking about at work, I'm talking about with your friends or with your, you know, with your family, we don't need to tell them the things uh, that we disagree about. And I, and I find often that when disagreement happens, it's something that one spouse selfishly wants anyway. And it's, it's not something that we as a couple need. Um, you know, you, you married Prince Charming, and he could do no wrong when you, when you first married him. Then you have to work to keep him Prince Charming, not just in, in your eyes, but also in the others of those around us. And, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, if, if um, uh, there's, there's you know, horrible things that are wrong and you're being you know, you're being beat at home or something like that. And, and I'm not saying, obviously, we we don't have that situation in our church. and I'm thankful for that. But, uh, you know, if, if an authority needs to know about it or something like that, I'm not saying that you need to keep those things secret and suffer in secret or whatever else. If you need help, you need to get help. But what I'm saying is, you know, oh, my husband, you should see, he leaves all his dirty clothes laying around on the floor and he does this and he does that. And I've told him a thousand times that I don't like that and he still does it. And that that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, right? Uh, you know, he needs to be Prince Charming in your eyes, but you need to make sure that he looks like Prince Charming to, to other people too. And the more we focus on the positives in life, the more we're going to talk about them and go forward. If we dwell on the negatives, our lives have no purpose. So what I'm saying here is we should always talk highly of our spouses. And, and listen, the more you talk highly of them, the more you actually get that view of them yourself, right? If you're telling everybody else about how Prince Charming he is, you're going to see him as Prince Charming in your own eyes when you get home and realize what you have, right? Same thing with, you know, oh, my wife's the most beautiful woman in the world, right? The more you tell other people that, the more you're going to believe it yourself uh, because that's, it's, that, it's a mindset, and it's a, and it's a mindset that we ought to have. I'm not going to talk bad about my wife to somebody else. She's not going to talk bad about me to somebody else because that trust between each other is the most sacred thing that we have, and when that trust is broken... It's almost impossible to get it back. Which brings us then to number eight. Two more here. Number one, number eight. We must agree on all the parenting issues together in private before making a decision. In order for your kids to respect the authority of mom and dad, then there has to be a unified front. Um, You can't say, well, I don't agree with with this, but this is what mom wants to do, so you should never say that. You go hash it out in private. You have your, you know, your hushed argument behind closed doors, and then you come out and you say, this is what we decided to do. Whether you agree 100% with it or not, listen, that's, that's just a principle of business, right? I mean, you see that happen a, a lot of times in, in our government as well. You know, they don't, they don't necessarily agree with everything, but this is what we decided to do. We are a unified front. And I mean, how easy would it be for somebody to come in? And, and you see this every once in a while, but it's very, very rare. Well, I didn't agree with this, but we decided on, right, no, we decided that this is what we're going to do. It's very unsettling to me to hear of parents who make decisions based on what their children want. Um, I grew up in a family where the kids were not consulted on, uh, on what the family was going to do. Uh, my, my dad never came to me and said, hey, do you think it'd be all right if we, he said, get in the car, we're going, or whatever, whatever it was that, that we were going to do. God's will for my parents' lives was based on God's will for my life, right, my will, God's will for my life was based on what God's will for my parents' life was when I was growing up, um, thank the Lord that I had parents who didn't come and ask their children what they wanted, but they, they made decisions based on God's will for their life, and then we followed them, right, the church that we were at, I didn't have any choice in it, right, it, it wasn't, well, I, don't, I didn't like that church, so, so my parents took us somewhere else, you know, Because they said, do you you guys like going here? Do you want to keep going here? No, my dad said, this is where God wants us. This is where we're going to go. This is where you're going to go too, right? My life has very obviously been exactly what God wanted it to be, but it was based on God leading my parents and my parents following God's will for their life, and that was obviously exactly what God wanted for my life. I mean, you think about it. Uh, and, and I mean, uh, if my parents came to me and said, do you want to go to another church, I'd ne- I would have said, no, I like it here, I love it here, this is my church, this is where we're growing up and whatever else. I mean, it was not even the thought that crossed my mind that they would come ask me if this is where I wanted to continue going. But you think about this, I, was, I, I graduated from kindergarten, high school, and college all in the same place. Had I not graduated from college there, I would not have been traveling in the group that came down here to Virginia where I met my wife where I met my father-in-law, where I, fe- where I met my pastor and my boss, and where we ended up starting a church out of that church and being here. If, if it had not been for the fact that God led my parents and my parents made decisions based on how God was leading them without consulting me, I would never be in this situation. And it's very obvious when I look back over my life that this is exactly what God wants me to do. This is exactly where God wants and wanted me to be, right? And so it wasn't based on, well, is this what you guys want or not? You know, it was based on, hey, this is what God wants us to do. We're going to do it. You're going to follow. And it, God's will for my parents' life, God's will for my life was God's will for my parents' life until I was out of their house. But uh, it was based on God's leading of my parents at that time. And a lot of people hesitate to do God's will because of their children. And I don't think what they realize is they're robbing them of God's richest blessings and rewards. The greatest thing that you can do for your children is to have is for you to be in the middle of God's will for your life. When you're in the middle of God's will for your life, then your kids are right in the middle of God's will for their life because they belong to you and they have that resp- you have that responsibility of raising them. Doing God's will for my life is going to transform my children's life because they're going to get to witness firsthand the blessings of God that come from total commitment and total uh, dedication to him and to his will, total submission to his will. What I learned in my growing up years molded me to be who I am today, but that was because my parents were following God's will for their life. I'm so thankful that my parents didn't come and ask me if I wanted to stay there or keep going to church. You know, I, I mean, I see this happen all the time, and you know, I could give you examples of, of uh, parents who said, well, when you get into high school, if you don't want to go to church anymore, you don't have to, and the, what do you think the kids did the first time they had an opportunity not? They stopped going, right? And you look at their lives now, parents still go to church, but most of the kids don't. And so, you know, it, it, they, they didn't come consult me if I wanted to go to church or, or participate in the activities and all those things. I was told we were going, and that was the next step in life. And so, he, here's why. Children are too young to know what's best for them, right? If you, if you put a pile of candy and donuts or a pile of meat and potatoes in front of a kid, guess which one most of them is going to pick? Right? They're going to pick the, the pile of candy and donuts, you know, but that's not the best for them, right? Kids, and, and this is what we're talking about in our teen class right now, uh, quite honestly, about a lot of those things, they're in, that, they're in that stage of life where everything is being developed and they're not, they don't think rationally because they don't have the, the frontal corf, uh, prefrontal cortex that's formed in the right way and all this. It's being formed right now and so they're not going to make rational decisions a lot of times. And they need parents. That's why God gave them parents. That's why, that's why God put you in their lives. When God calls us to go and serve, there's never a stipulation on it. When God has a, a will for our lives and we put it on hold, we're teaching our children that when tough things come up, uh, when they don't want to do it or they have uncertainty, they're fearful, they can just put it on hold. God's greatest rewards come from following God when we can't see the next step. Right? You still follow God in faith when you don't know what the next step looks like. That's when God's greatest rewards come. And that's what happens many times in, in, in our families' lives and in our church's lives when we go forward when we can't see. We don't allow others to change God's will for us. And I'm not saying that, that when you find out what your, you know, your kids want to do something, you relish the opportunity to go and do the exact opposite. I'm not saying that. Oh, good, my kids want to do this? Great. I get an opportunity to tell them no, and I'm going to do the exact opposite on purpose. I'm not saying that. You know, hey, what do you guys want to eat? You know, what do you, what do you think? You know, I mean, we don't really say that anyway. This is where we have a gift card too, so this is where we're going. You find something on the menu that you like, you know. Um, but, but what I'm saying is j- just because your kid doesn't like what you want to do does, and, and, and does not and should not change your plans of what you feel God is leading you to do. Uh, and how he's leading you to lead them just because they don't like it or they don't want to do it. Our responsibility to our children is that we must follow God's will for our lives. So we have to agree on all those parenting issues together in private before we make a decision. But when we make that decision, we go forward for Christ regardless of what anybody else thinks, including our children. Which brings us then to the last point. And we'll be very quick with this one, but this, was, this one's kind of, kind of right along the same lines as that, but we have to be of one mind concerning our standards and convictions for our homes. Uh, by that, I mean as a team, we both need to teach standards to our children, and we've, we need to find out where those standards are. We need to decide what those standards are, but we need to make sure that we're personally following those guidelines, and both parents have to be enforcing those guidelines. Sometimes it's the husband who's weak on the enforcement. I've seen that happen many times. You know, you have a wife who... Uh, you know, you're not going out in that, and the husband's like, eh, it's fine, whatever, let her go out in that. That's, that's not unified. And that's the wife that's trying to enforce a standard that the husband is, is weak on, but the wife, can, you know, the wife can encourage him in private to enforce those standards that maybe she believes, but, but that he's not real strong on. Other times, it's the husband who's strong on those things, and the wife is not. It's the husband's responsibility to lead the home, and as a leader, what he sets for the family is not just right, it's, it's a responsibility before God Right? He's going to answer to God someday for what happens in his home. Uh, And that's that's a great responsibility that we have as men that rests on our shoulders. Right? Someday I'm going to stand before God and God's not going to say, oh, why did your wife do that? He's going to say, why did you let your wife do that? Why did you let your kids do that? I put you in charge. I put you as the leader of the home. You are the one that has the responsibility to make sure that your home is going in the direction that God wants it to go. The wife's responsibility before God is to submit to the authority of her husband. What he sets as the direction in the home has to be enforced with unity. Well, dad doesn't like this, but that should never be said in our homes. Uh, if you're willing to tear down the authority, and, and, and I'll end with this, because this, is, this is, a, is a great principle across the board for all of us to understand. If you're willing to tear down the authority to your children, any authority, whether that's the dad, and, and this is, I mean this is exactly what we're seeing in our society today. You 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 watch a commercial or or, you know and I don't I don't see TV programs and whatever else but I know it to be the case with a lot of these TV programs and things but you know Dad's always the the stupid one right and the mom is tearing down the authority because the kid was you know you should have listened to him he was telling you what what you were supposed to do you're the dumb one Dad you should have known better right and how often do you see that right but what happens is when you tear down the authority any authority and it could be the authority of you know, a a teacher or the pastor or the dad or the mom or, or anything. You tear down that authority, you're ultimately tearing down your own authority. Because what you're teaching them is that you should only obey authority when you agree with it and when you like it. And so when a mom tears down the authority of the dad in the home to the children, essentially she's tearing down her own authority at the same time. Or when a dad is tearing down the authority of the mom to the children, he's tearing down his own authority at the same time, right? Or, or when you go home and you, you pick the pastor apart, you, you know, you have fried pastor for lunch. And I don't, I'm not in your homes. I don't know if that's what happens or not. But all I'm saying is when you're tearing that authority down, I'm not saying that you have to agree with everything that I say in the pulpit, right? Or, or everything that uh, your husband says at home or whatever else. But those things ought to be taken care of in private. Because when you tear down the authority to your children, you are tearing down your own authority at the same time. Your children are going to follow suit. There's probably more on that that would be a better, uh, a better time, different lesson. But let me end by saying this. Nobody ever stumbles on a happy marriage. It takes work. It takes effort. You have to try. You have to work at it. To have a happy marriage, the husband and wife have to decide to be of one mind. That I is not found in team, right? Taking the I out of marriage will help to create a team that works together and to create the happy marriage that God intended to bring honor to his name. And isn't that the whole purpose of marriage? The whole purpose of marriage is not so we can be happy, although it's a wonderful benefit of it, right? The whole purpose of marriage is, is not to uh, find somebody that we can live together with for the rest of our lives. No, those are, those are benefits. Those are great parts of marriage. But the whole purpose of marriage is to bring glory to God. By being something together that we can never be separate. And so when we come together, it's not I anymore, it's we. It's us. And we need to be of that one mind. We need to have that same, that, that team attitude. Just like he says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 11. Finally, brethren, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. You want to have a marriage that's peaceful? You want to have a marriage that's happy? You want to have a marriage where you, you enjoy it instead of just enduring it? Be of one mind. Get on the same page, present that unified front, and go forward in God's will for your lives together. You'll be happy. You'll be successful. Your kids will be happy. They'll, they'll want to model their marriage later on after what you have, right? I mean, my parents had a wonderful marriage before my mom passed away, right? And, and I, 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 I man, the, the, seeing my parents together made me want what they had. And I got what they have. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they modeled it. They did it. And we saw it. And we wanted what they have. And that's exactly what we ought to be trying to do for our children as well. Making your marriage a team. If we can do that, we'll be happy and we'll be successful. And isn't that the whole point? Let's pray. Father, we love you.